Section three of the Underground Railroad, Part five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denise Nordell. The Underground Railroad, Part five, by William Still. Section three. Portraits and Sketches, Abigail Goodwin. Contemporary with Esther Moore, and likewise an intimate personal friend of hers, Abigail Goodwin of Salem, New Jersey, was one of the rare, true friends to the Underground Railroad, whose labors entitle her name to be mentioned in terms of very high praise. A. W. M., a most worthy lady, in a letter to a friend, refers to her in the following language. From my long residence under the same roof, I learned to know well her uncommon self-sacrifice of character, and to be willing and glad whenever in my power to honor her memory. But yet I should not know what further to say about her than to give a very few words of testimony to her life of ceaseless and active benevolence, especially toward the colored people. Her life, outwardly, was wholly uneventful, as she lived out her whole life of seventy-three years in the neighborhood of her birthplace. With regard to her portrait, which was solicited for this volume, the same lady thus writes, No friend of hers would for a moment think of permitting that miserable caricature, the only picture existing meant to represent her, to be given to the public. I cannot even bear to give a place in my little album to so mournful and ridiculous a misrepresentation of her in face. You wonder why her sister, E., my loved and faithful friend, seems to be so much less known among anti-slavery people than Abby? One reason is that, although dear Betsy's interest in the subject was quite equal in earnestness, it was not quite so absorbingly exclusive. Betsy economized greatly in order to give to the cause, but Abby denied herself even necessary apparel, and Betsy has often said that few beggars came to our doors whose garments were so worn, forlorn, and patched up as Abby's. Giving to the colored people was a perfect passion with her. Consequently, she was known as a larger giver than Betsy. Another and greater reason why she was more known abroad than her sister E. was that she wrote with facility, and corresponded at intervals with many on these matters, Mr. McKim and others, and for many years. Abigail was emphatically of the type of the poor widow who cast in all her living. She worked for the slave as a mother would work for her children. Her highest happiness and pleasure in life seemed to be derived from rendering acts of kindness to the oppressed. Letters of sympathy accompanied with bags of stockings, clothing, and donations of money were not unfrequent from her. New Jersey contained a few well-tried friends, both within and without the Society of Friends, to which Miss Goodwin belonged. But among them all, none was found to manifest, at least in the Underground Railroad of Philadelphia, such an abiding interest as a co-worker in the cause, as did Abigail Goodwin. The sympathy which characterized her actions is clearly evinced in her own words, as contained in the appended extracts from her letter, as follows. Dear friend, I sent E. M., Esther Moore, forty-one dollars more by half than I expected to when I set about it. I expect that abolitionists there are all opposed to buying slaves, and will not give anything. I don't like buying them or giving money to slaveholders either, but this seems to be a peculiar case, can be had so cheap, and so many young ones that would be separated from their parents. Slavery is peculiarly hard for children, that cannot do anything to protect themselves, nor can their parents, and the old too, it is hard for them, but it is a terrible thing altogether. The case of the fugitive thee mentioned was indeed truly affecting. It makes one ashamed as well as sad to read such things, that human beings, or any other beings, should be so treated. I cannot but hope and believe that slavery will ere long cease. I have a strong impression that the colored people and the women are to have a day of prosperity and triumph over their oppressors. 
we must patiently wait and quietly hope but not keep too much in the quiet shall have to work our deliverance from bondage who would be free themselves must strike the blow i regret very much that i have not more clothing to send than the stockings i have not had time since i thought of it to make anything am ashamed that i was so inconsiderate of the poor runaways i will go to work as soon as i have earned money to buy materials have managed so as to spend my little annual allowance in nine months and shall not be able to give you any money for some months but if more stockings are wanted let me know our benevolent society have plenty on hand and i have some credit if not money they will trust me till i have they furnish work for poor women and sell it i get them for fifty cents a pair my sister says lucretia mott told her that there was not much clothing in the trunk only a few old things i think she told me there was nothing in it she meant i suppose of any consequence i should like to know if the fugitives are mostly large i have an idea they are generally small in stature that slavery stunts the body as well as the mind i want to know in regard to the clothes that i intend making it's best to have them fit as well as can be i shall work pretty much for women i hope and expect that there are many friends of the cause who furnish clothing in the city they ought to be fitted out for canada with strong warm clothing in cold weather and their sad fate alleviated as much as can be the forty-one dollars referred to in the above letter and sent to e m was to go especially towards buying an interesting family of ten slaves who were owned in north carolina by a slaveholder whose rare liberality was signalized by offering to take one thousand dollars for the lot young and old in this exceptional case while opposed to buying slaves in common with abolitionists generally she was too tender-hearted to resist the temptation so long as they could be bought so cheap to rid men of their yoke was her chief desire such was her habit of making the sad lot of a slave a personal matter that let her view him in any light whatever whether in relation to young ones that would be separated from their parents or with regard to the old the life of a slave was peculiarly hard a terrible thing in her judgment the longer she lived and the more faithfully she labored for the slave's deliverance the more firmly she became rooted in the soul-encouraging idea that slavery will ere long cease whilst the great masses were either blind or indifferent she was nerved by this faith to bear cheerfully all the sacrifices she was called on to make from another letter we copy as follows january twenty fifth eighteen fifty five dear friend the enclosed ten dollars i have made earned in two weeks and of course it belongs to the slave it may go for the fugitives or carolina slaves whichever needs it most i am sorry the fugitives treasury is not better supplied if money could flow into it as it does into the tract fund but that is not to be expected the answer in regard to impostors is quite satisfactory no doubt you take great pains to arrive at the truth but cannot at all times avoid being imposed on will that little boy of seven years have to travel on foot to canada there will be no safety for him here i hope his father will get off john hill writes very well considering his few advantages if plenty of good schools could be established in canada for the benefit of fugitives many bright scholars and useful citizens would be added to society i hope these will be in process of time it takes the most energetic and intelligent to make their way out of bondage from the most southern states it is rather a wonder to me that so many can escape the masters are so continually watching them the poor man that secreted himself so long must indeed have suffered dreadfully and been exceedingly resolute to brave dangers so long it was so characteristic of her to take an interest in everything that pertained to the underground railroad that even the deliverance of a little nameless boy was not beneath her notice to her mind his freedom was just as dear to him as if he had been the son of the president of the united states 
how they got on in canada and the question of education were matters that concerned her deeply hence occasional letters received from canada evincing marked progress such as the hero john h hill was in the habit of writing always gave her much pleasure to peruse in the wheeler slave case in which passmore williamson and others were engaged her interest was very great from a letter dated salem september ninth eighteen fifty five we quote the subjoined extract dear friend i am truly rejoiced and thankful that the right has triumphed but stranger had it been otherwise in your intelligent community where it must be apparent to all who inquire into it that you had done nothing but what was deserving of high commendation instead of blame and punishment and shame on the jury who would bring in the two men guilty of assault and battery they ought to have another trial perhaps another jury would be more just it is well for the credit of philadelphia that there is one upright judge as kelly seems to be and his sentence will be a light one it is presumed showing he considered the charge a mere pretense i hope and trust that neither thyself nor the other men will have much if any of the expense to bear your lawyers will not charge anything i suppose and the good citizens will pay all else it seems there are hopes entertained that passmore williamson will soon be set at liberty it must be a great comfort to him and wife in their trials that it will conduce to the furtherance of the good cause if philadelphians are not aroused now after this great stretch of power to consider their safety they must be a stupid set of people but it must certainly do good you will take good care of jane johnson i hope and not let her get kidnapped back to slavery is it safe for her to remain in your city or anywhere else in our free land i have some doubts and fears for her do try to impress her with the necessity of being very cautious and careful against deceivers pretended friends she had better be off to canada pretty soon thy wife must not sit up washing and ironing all night again she ought to have help in her sympathy and labors for the poor fugitives and i should think there are many there who would willingly assist her i intended to be careful of trespassing upon thy time as thee must have enough to do the fugitives are still coming i expect with kind regards also to thy wife your friend a goodwin in another letter she suggests the idea of getting up a committee of women to provide clothing for fugitive females on this point she wrote thus salem eighth month first would it not be well to set up a committee of women to provide clothes for fugitive females a dozen women sewing a day or even half a day of each week might keep a supply always ready they might i should think get the merchants or some of them to give cheap materials mention it to thy wife and see if she cannot get up a society i will do what i can here for it i enclose five dollars for the use of fugitives it was a good while that i heard nothing of your railroad concerns i expected thee had gone to canada or has the journey not been made or is it yet to be accomplished or given up i was in hopes thee would go and see with thine own eyes how things go on in that region of fugitives and if it's a goodly land to live in this is the first of august and i suppose you are celebrating it in philadelphia or some of you are though i believe you are not quite as zealous as the bostonians are in doing it when will our first of august come oh that it might be soon very soon it's high time the reign of oppression was over ever alive to the work she would appeal to such as were able among her friends to take stock in the underground railroad and would sometimes succeed in a letter dated july thirty eighteen fifty six she thus alludes to her efforts i have tried to beg something for them but have not got much one of our neighbors s w acton gave me three dollars for them i added enough to make ten which thee will find inside i shall owe three more and make my ten i presume they are still coming every day almost and i fear it comes rather hard on thee and wife to do for so many but you no doubt feel it a satisfaction to do all you can for the poor sufferers 
February 10, 1858, she forwarded her willing contribution, with the following interesting remarks. Salem, February 10, 1858. Dear friend, thee will find enclosed five dollars for the fugitives, a little for so many to share it, but better than nothing. Oh, that people, rich people, would remember them instead of spending so much on themselves, and those two who are not called rich might, if there was only a willing mind, give two of their abundance. How can they forbear to sympathize with those poor destitute ones? But so it is. There is not half the feeling for them there ought to be. Indeed, scarcely anybody seems to think about them. Inasmuch as ye have not done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have not done it unto me. Thy friend, A. Goodwin. When the long-looked-for day of emancipation arrived, which she had never expected to witness, the unbounded thankfulness of her heart found expression in the appended letter. Salem, September 23, 1862 Dear friend, thy letter, dated 17th, was not received till last night. I cannot tell where it has been detained so long. On the 22nd, yesterday, Amy Reckless came here, after I began writing, and wished me to defer sending for a day or two, thinking she could get a few more dollars, and she has just brought some, and will try for more, and clothing. A thousand thanks to President Hamlin for his kindness to the contrabands. Poor people! How deplorable their situation! Where will they go when cold weather comes? So many of them to find homes for, but they must and will, I trust, be taken care of, not by their former caretakers, though. I have read the President's proclamation of emancipation with thankfulness and rejoicing, but upon a little reflection I did not feel quite satisfied with it. Three months seems a long time to be in the power of their angry and cruel masters who, no doubt, will wreak all their fury and vengeance upon them, killing and abusing them in every way they can, and sell them to Cuba if they can. It makes me sad to think of it. Slavery, I fear, will be a long time in dying, after receiving the fatal stroke. What do abolitionists think of it, and what is thy opinion? I feel quite anxious to know something more about it. The daily press says it will end the war in its cause. How can we be thankful enough if it should, and soon too? Oh, praise and thanks, what a blessing for our country! I never expected to see the happy day. If thee answers this, thee will please tell me all about it, and what is thought of it by the wise ones. But I ought not to intrude on thy time, thee has so much on thy hands, nor ask thee to write. I shall know in time, if I can be patient, to wait. Enclosed are seventeen dollars. From Amy Reckless, one dollar fifty cents. J. Bassett, one dollar. Jesse Bond, one dollar. Martha Reeve, one dollar. S. Woodnut, one dollar. Hannah Wheeler, one dollar. A colored man, twenty-five cents. Twenty-five cents thrown in to make it even. A. G., ten dollars. Amy is very good in helping, and is collecting clothing which she thinks cannot be sent till next week. I will attend to sending it, as soon as can be, by stage driver. May every success attend thy labors for the poor sufferers. With kind regards, thy friend, A. Goodwin. Thus, until the last fetter was broken, with singular persistency, zeal, faith, and labor, she did what she could to aid the slave, without hope of reward in this world. Not only did she contribute to aid the fugitives, but was, for years, a regular and liberal contributor to the Pennsylvania Anti-Slavery Society, as well as a subscriber to the anti-slavery papers, The Liberator, National Anti-Slavery Standard, Pennsylvania Freeman, etc. Having seen with joy the desire of her heart in the final emancipation of every bondman in the United States, she departed in peace, November 2, 1867, in the seventy-fourth year of her age. End of section 3. Recording by Denise Nordell, Modesto, California.